Today I'll be reading from Acts chapter 8. I'll read verses 26 through 36. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury, and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I, unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? <clears throat> Thank you for that reading, Grayson. You know, as those of us in the church who have grown up in the church, so to speak, or have been in the church any length of time, understand that the subject of baptism, the topic of baptism, has been hotly debated, especially, I would say, in the last you know, couple hundred years uh, in Western Christianity, and as we consider this most fundamental and basic of theological principles that we, that we teach as essential to our salvation, a lot of times we find ourselves going up against ideas of indifference as the roots of these doctrines of belief only and faith only, you know, they found their, their strides sort of in the, the ideas of the Reformation period people like Martin Luther and John Calvin who taught that salvation and forgiveness of sins comes from only believing in Jesus Christ and only having faith in him. And so the idea of baptism has become unnecessary or maybe sort of ancillary or supplementary, just an add-on to our faith and our salvation. And as we consider this, the idea of the, the sinner's prayer has become extremely prevalent in our nation where Teachers say all you have to do is pray this prayer that's pre-written for you on a sheet of paper and ask Jesus into your heart and to accept him as your savior and receive salvation. You won't find that doctrine anywhere in the Bible. There is no example anywhere in the New Testament, uh, the book of Acts, that is replete with conversions. Never will you hear a, an apostle or a teacher of the gospel say, say this sinner's prayer and you'll be forgiven. Many uh, mental gymnasts will attempt to use ideas that they pull from other scriptures to justify this, but there, you won't find that in anywhere in the Bible. Regardless of all that, there's one thing you can't get away from, and that is, is as Philip talked to this Ethiopian man about Jesus as he was reading the book of Isaiah, and as they went on their way, it says he began to teach Jesus to him, beginning at that same scripture. I wish we had a transcript of that conversation. I wish I knew what Philip said to him. I wish I knew the questions that he asked along the way. We don't have that. 
But we do know that he taught him Jesus. And we do know that as they reached the end of their conversation, the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? At some point in this conversation, the eunuch came away with this being an important question. And he wanted to know, why can't I be baptized? What is stopping me from being baptized? And we have to ask ourselves, why did he come to this conclusion? Why was this the question he asked? And the only possible answer is the fact that Philip taught him that baptism was something he needed to do as he taught him about Jesus, as he taught him about the gospel. We have Jesus himself in Matthew 28, verse 18 through 19. He came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Jesus invokes his authority as the risen Savior. All authority. And in that authority, what did he say to do? He said, you go. He commanded them to go and to make disciples. How do you make disciples? You baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and you teach them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. He said in Mark chapter 16, verse 15, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. He talks about preaching the gospel. He talks about saving people. How do you do that? Through baptism. If this were a sermon this morning on the essential nature of baptism, let's call the invitation right now. What more do you need than the ultimate authority of the risen Savior saying to his disciples, you go and you baptize people, you make disciples, you save them. How do we do that? Why do we need to argue about this? Why do we need to say baptism is ancillary or supplementary or not necessary? You're not off the hook. That's not what this sermon's about. The question we want to ask this morning is, what hinders you from being baptized? Now, many of the people in this room, I dare say most of the people in this room, have been baptized. Some of you haven't. For those of you that haven't, I want to ask you the question. What hinders you from being baptized? What's keeping you from doing it? For those of you that have been baptized, I want to give you this information that you can maybe take to people and to show them how important this is and be able to teach them and to show them that maybe some of the hindrances they have in their lives that keep them from being baptized aren't really hindrances at all. I'm going to break not rules, but a few guidelines I set for myself as a teacher this morning. The first one relates to what we have on the board here. Our brother Seth talked about this last week when he talked about the gospel of the kingdom, and he said a lot of times we think about the gospel as hear, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized. We say this is the plan of salvation. Of course, this is not the plan of salvation. God's plan of salvation is his eternal plan and purpose to send Jesus to this world before the foundation of the world that he would die for our sins and, and bring us to him. But these are the steps that we find as we go through the scriptures and as we read through the New Testament and the revealed will of God, that this is how a person obeys the gospel and the steps that are sort of required for that. You won't find a scripture anywhere in the New Testament or the Old that says you must hear, you must believe, you must repent, you must confess, you must be baptized. But the whole counsel of God coming together, you're going to find that these are necessary steps. One of my guidelines is I heard this preached so much growing up. I preached it myself in so many sermons that I try not to just get, throw this in every single sermon I preach. I, pr I try to preach the gospel in every sermon I preach because I think, why else are we here? The gospel should be preached every time. But so that's the first guideline I'm going to sort of break. The second one is what I like to call the New Testament greatest hits. 
where we use the same New Testament verses over and over and over in every sermon. And I think we do that to the exclusion of many other scriptures that aren't preached a lot. And there's a reason they're the greatest hits, because they're really good. And I'm going to use a lot of those today. And depending on how long this takes, my third guideline outbreak is a 30, 35-minute sermon. We'll see how it goes. So let's get going. Hearing the gospel, someone might say, well, duh. Of course you have to hear in order to do any of this. And I want to talk about this in terms of not necessarily just hearing the message. I want you to hear the message, but I also want you to understand the message. I want you to internalize it. I want you to discern it. I want you to realize what the gospel really means and what it means for you. You know, when Paul talked about hearing the gospel in Romans chapter 10, he said, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, this is one of those passages that those mental gymnasts will take and say, oh, well, this means we call on the name of the Lord. That's the sinner's prayer right there. Well, Ananias told Saul in Acts twenty-two sixteen, 16, arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. So there's that settled for you. Verse 14, how then shall they call on him whom they've not believed? How shall they believe in him whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach unless they are sent? So he's laying out a very logical case here. He's talking about, the, number one, the importance of preaching the gospel. We, are, we hold this treasure in earthen vessels. We, into our hands, the gospel is given. We are the, the people who are supposed to take the gospel to the lost. He says people can call on the Lord and be saved, but they can't do that. They're not going to call on someone that they don't believe in. And they're not going to believe in someone they haven't heard about. we got to preach the gospel. But also in this message, what he's saying down here in verse 16, they have not all obeyed the gospel. So he's using this phrase of obeying the gospel. He's linking that with calling on the name of the Lord. But he says they haven't all obeyed the gospel. Why? Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? People have heard it, but not believed it. And already we're to our second point while we're still on our first point because hearing and believing are so linked together. There's no point in saying, I hear something, and, and, and then, but I need to believe it. A lot of people have heard the gospel over the years, and a lot of people have turned a deaf ear to it, whether intentionally, unintentionally, whether they just don't get it or they're not ready to hear it. And Paul is talking about the nation of Israel here, the Jews who have had heard the gospel, but they haven't believed it, and so therefore they haven't obeyed it. And this morning, I want you to hear the message of the gospel. I want you to hear the truth of the gospel. And if you haven't heard it, or if you don't understand it fully, or you have questions about that, you can feel free to talk to Carrie and I as elders of this congregation. There are any number of men and women in this room right now who can teach you the, the gospel. And if you have questions about that, ask someone. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel, Paul says, which I preach to you, which also you received, and in which you stand. So he preached it to them, they heard it, they received it, and then he said, you're saved by this, by which also you are saved if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. And here it is. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. This is the gospel. And we can get into detail. There's other books like the book of Ephesians that I've covered earlier this year and last year. There's things like Seth talked about last Sunday, the gospel of the kingdom and how important the kingdom is to all this and what it means to be in the kingdom or in the church and how that relates to the gospel. But these are the facts of the gospel, the good news that Jesus died for our sins 
and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day. And this connects very easily to the subject of baptism. And Paul does that, the same writer of 1 Corinthians, in the book of Romans, chapter 6, verse 3, he does exactly that. He says, do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we've been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. And I don't know how much plainer Paul could make it here in talking about baptism. Now, we've talked about this a lot over the last couple of years in the context of this passage. And Paul is not trying to convince these people they need to be baptized. These are people that have already been baptized. But he's trying to tell them this is what should have happened when you were baptized. You were buried with him. And so we see scattered all throughout this passage the facts of the gospel, the death, the burial, the resurrection. And he says when you are baptized into Christ, you are united together with him in the facts of the gospel. You are united with Christ in his death, in his burial, his resurrection. You're raised to walk in newness of life. And that is the gospel in a nutshell. That is what it means to obey the gospel. He goes on later talking about being obedient to the form of doctrine that was delivered to you. Proponents of belief only, faith only in salvation. They're going to talk about baptism and say, well, it's just an outward sign of what's already happened inwardly. It's just an outward sign of your faith and the salvation that's already taken place in your life. And they somehow think that what happens inwardly and what happens outwardly have to be two separate events. And what Paul is telling us here is they're one and the same. They go hand in hand. Yes, it's an outward sign or outward showing of our faith. And it's us outwardly partaking in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what is happening inwardly through our faith is that God is wiping away our sins or washing away our sins in the blood of Jesus because we're partaking in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. But why do those two things have to be separate events? Very clearly they are not. Very clearly they happen at the same time. But you got to believe that. you got to know that. you got to understand that and internalize it and realize it. They're going to say, well, baptism, it's just a work. It's a work, and we're not saved by works. We're saved by grace, Ephesians chapter 2. We're saved by grace through faith. And baptism is just a work. And they claim that believing in Jesus only is required. They seem to think that the actual act of being dipped into the water is the most important part of this to us. Like, only thing that matters is we just get somebody in the water. Get somebody in the water and they're saved and they're baptized. And if that's the case, you know, we could just go around to pool parties all across the nation and sneak up on people, dunk them under the water and say, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That doesn't work. Why? You know, Philip told the eunuch, if you believe with all your heart, you may. Can I, why can't I be baptized? He says, if you believe with all your heart, you can. And it's not like he was saying, you cannot possibly be baptized. What he's saying is, what's the point? If you don't believe in Jesus, why would somebody want to be baptized? That's why when people go to Mark chapter 16 and 16, they say, well, Jesus didn't say he who is not baptized and doesn't believe we can do. He just says, who doesn't believe? 
Why would you get baptized if you don't believe? And I'm telling you this morning, belief is so critical. And we don't want to teach just, well, just get them in the water. you got to know what you're doing. That's why infant baptism is such a fallacy. That little baby has no clue about even what's going on in his life. No clue about why water is being sprinkled on him, like that's baptism anyway. you got to believe it. you got to know it. you got to understand what Jesus has done for you. And your baptism has to be rooted in that faith. Acts chapter 8, earlier on, as Philip is preaching in the city of Samaria, listen to what happens there. When they believed Philip as he preached, the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself also believed. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip. When, did they, when were they baptized? When they believed. When was Simon baptized? When he believed. Philip just didn't walk around and say, hey, everybody gather around. I'm going to dunk you in water and everything's going to be okay. Of course not. You got to believe. You know, Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 3.21, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I got to kind of wonder throughout the years how many people have been baptized just because, for lack of a better word, and I apologize for using this word, they wanted to shut up their friends and relatives. I get tired of my family harping me all the time. You need to be baptized. You need to be baptized. Okay, I'll get baptized. You feel better now? Well, if they didn't believe it, then we shouldn't feel better because belief is essential. Do you really believe it? Otherwise, there's no point. And Peter's saying it here. It's not about just being having dirt removed from your body. I've said it before. Our brother Jeffrey does a fantastic job of keeping our baptistry clean, but it's not the cleanest water in Amarillo, I guarantee you. And that water is not going to take away your sins. What is going to take away your sins is this, an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus. An act of faith, an appeal to God through what? The gospel, the resurrection of Jesus. And you're going to find as we go through some of these passages this morning, it's astounding how many times the writers of these documents and the Holy Spirit inspired them to include the facts of the gospel in these passages that talk about baptism. Colossians chapter 2, verse 11, In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Through faith in what? Through faith in the working of God. You see, faith is essential. Belief is important. We got to believe what we're doing. Well, baptism is a work, and you can't be saved by works. I'm here today to confess to you and admit that I believe that baptism is a work, and it is a work that saves us. But it's not my work. The person who's being baptized, it's not their work. The person who's doing the baptizing, it's not their work. It is God's work, and it is through our faith in God's work, his work in sending his son to this world, to Jesus going to the cross and shedding his perfect and pure and precious blood and dying there for our sins, and God raising him from the dead and exalting him on high. That is the work we have faith in when we're baptized. And God does the work of saving us, not us. You gotta believe that. You gotta know it in your heart. See here again are the facts of the gospel. Buried with him in baptism. Raised with him. 
just as he was raised from the dead. There's the gospel, and that's how you obey the gospel. I guess you'd be hard-pressed to find any preacher, almost anywhere, I guess, that, that would say repentance is something that should be in a Christian's life. That changing our, changing our way of living, that's what repentance is. Changing the way we live, turning it around, living a different way, talking a different way, walking a different way. The Bible talks about God in the book of Genesis in the days of Noah, how it repented him that he had even made man. God was sorry that he had even created human beings and he decided to wipe them all away with a flood. Repenting means we turn away from what we're doing and we go in the opposite direction. We turn away from a life of sin and we move towards a life that is following after Jesus. And repentance is certainly a necessary aspect to our obedience to the gospel. In Acts chapter 2, verse 36, as Peter is preaching on the day of Pentecost, he says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Let's stop there for a second. Here is Peter preaching what we often call the first gospel sermon. And these Jews hear it, and they're cut to the heart. They're convicted. They believe. They know. And what shall we do? What are we going to do? We've killed the Son of God. Now, if the only thing necessary for salvation is to believe, why didn't Peter say that? Why didn't he say something to this effect? Well, I can tell that you're cut to the heart and you believe what I've said. And if you don't believe, all you have to do is believe and you'll be saved. Why didn't Peter say that? Well, number one, he knew they believed. They were cut to the heart. He knew where they were. Men and brethren, what shall we do? They believed it. Now, what do I need to do about it? Peter said, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Repent. Change your ways. Be sorry for what you've done, and let that godly sorrow lead you to change the way you live, to change the way you are. We've killed the Son of God. We need to repent of that. And we need to be baptized. You know, people will twist this passage. I've, I've literally heard a Calvinist preacher say, well, he says here, repent and let everyone be baptized. Or because your sins have already been forgiven, it's not for, for the remission of sins. In order that your sins are forgiven, it's because your sins have been forgiven, you be baptized. But that lumps repentance right in there with that. So you repent and be baptized because your sins have already been forgiven? Peter didn't tell him that. He said, you repent and be baptized. Well, he's just, that means because your sins have been forgiven. Well, in Matthew chapter 26, verse 28, Jesus said, This is my blood of the New Testament or New Covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. As Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper on the night of his betrayal, he said these words This is my blood, my blood of the New Covenant, which is shed for many. Why? Why did Jesus shed his blood? For the remission of sins. Did Jesus shed his blood because our sins had already been remitted? It's foolish. He shed his blood in order that our sins would be forgiven. And it's the exact same language that he uses here in Acts chapter 2. Peter said, repent 
and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. Matthew chapter 9, verse 13, Jesus said, Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Repentance was part of the core message that Jesus preached while he was here. You need to repent of your sins. He said, I tell you nay, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Repentance is a big part of our lives. we got to change who we are. we got to try to start following after Him, make our lives conformed to Him. But you know, maybe something's holding you back from being baptized. Maybe you think that you need to get your life in order. Maybe you think that you need to be kind of get things figured out before you get there. Well, I've got some sin in my life, and I'm, I'm trying to overcome that. I'm trying to be a better person. When I get myself to a position where I think I deserve to, I'll be baptized. That's not what this deal is about, people. If you're going to wait until you're ready to be baptized in that way, in the sense of I've got to get things figured out and get the sin out of my life, you're going to wait for eternity because it will never happen. We will never be completely without sin. Romans chapter 6 Verse 1 through 3, he's talking about this repentance. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we die to sin, live any longer in it? That's why you were baptized, he goes on to say. You got to change your life, but that doesn't mean you got to have it all figured out and be perfect before you're baptized. That's the whole point of the gospel. The whole point of the gospel is you can't deserve it, and you never will. You will never deserve what Jesus did for you. And that's why the gospel is there. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, Trevor talked a lot about this verse in his series. Little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and himself is the propitiation or the appeasement for our sin. He says, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but guess what? I know you're still going to sin, and you know it too. And you have an advocate with the Father. Never forget why we're here. Never forget how this even is possible. It's through Jesus Christ and what he's done. And you will never get to the point where you're just, okay, now I'm ready, and now I deserve to be baptized. Don't let that hold you back. Don't let that keep you from being baptized. You know, the idea of delaying our baptism, the idea of putting it off for whatever the reason might be. I like to use this passage of Scripture found in Acts chapter 16. We have the situation where Paul and Silas were in prison with their little uh, midnight gospel singing that they had there, and the, the earthquake happened, the bands were loose, the prisoners were freed, the doors were opened. The jailer comes in, and, and he's going to kill himself because he thinks all the prisoners have gone. Paul says, don't do yourself any harm. We're all here. And this is his response. He brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? What hinders me from being baptized? Men and brethren, what shall we do? I love how these people... They, they're asking the important questions. These are the questions we need to be asking ourselves. What must I do to be saved? What's keeping me from being baptized? What shall I do? I don't even know that the jailer knew what he needed to be saved from. He knew he needed to be saved. So they said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved, you and your household. There it is. All you have to do is believe, right? Let's keep reading. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him. And to all who was in his house, they preached the gospel to him. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. What's that? That's repentance. He was probably the one that laid the stripes on them in the first place. 
And now he's taking them out washing the stripes. The same hour of the night. And what happened? Immediately, he and all his family were baptized. Do you think the jailer had it all figured out at this point? You think after hearing the gospel, he realized, oh man, I'm a horrible sinner and I feel like I'm never going to commit sin again. And I've got it all figured it out. I've got all the answers to my questions now and now I can be baptized. Of course not. Do you think all his family understood that? Of course not. What they understood was the truth, the facts of the gospel that, that Paul and Silas preached to them and they knew the urgency behind that. Immediately, he and all his family were baptized. The Ethiopian and Philip, as they went down the road, see, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? Well, why don't you wait till you get to the, the next town and you can invite your friends and your family and, and they can all be a part of it and maybe you've got some more questions. And No, if you believe, you can. Immediately, they were baptized. Let's not delay this any longer. Let's not put it off. Let's not wait. If you believe, do it. If you're willing to repent, do it. And finally, if you're willing to confess, do it. You know, speaking in public, making public confessions in front of one person or many people, it can be an intimidating prospect to a lot of people. A lot of people get nervous in front of crowds. They feel pressure, especially when admitting fault, especially when acknowledging that I need help. As they went down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. This is all it is. I heard a story one time about a gospel meeting that was going on and a young man came forward after the sermon and, and wanted to be baptized and the preacher asked the man to stand and said, we're going to take your confession and the young man began to confess all the sins that he'd ever committed or at least the ones that were on his mind. And The preacher had to stop him and say, no, that's not what we're here for. Our sin is a foregone conclusion. We all have sin. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And God doesn't need us to confess our sins, at least at this point. Confessing our sins is an important part of our prayer life, an important part of reaching out to help for other people. But what he's talking about here is confessing your belief, confessing that you understand the truth of the gospel, confessing you understand what Jesus has done, and confessing that you believe he's the Son of God. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And if it's something you truly believe, regardless of any stage fright, understand there was only one other person here. He didn't have to go in front of a big crowd and shout this from the rooftops. He just confessed to Philip right there, I believe. And they went down into the water. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes into righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Notice the facts of the gospel, raising him from the dead, if you believe that. And notice how our belief and our confession are linked together. There's no point in confessing something you don't believe. Again, maybe just to silence the people who are trying to get you in the water. No point in doing that. 
All you're going to do is get wet. Go into the water a dry center, come out a wet center. You got to believe. And through that belief, you got to confess. You got to repent. First John chapter 4, verse 14, we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. We should be willing to say what we believe. We should be willing to stand up and say, this is what I believe. Always be ready to give an answer for the hope that is within you. How can I keep from singing his name or singing his praise? How can I keep from shouting his name? Because that's what I really believe. Matthew 10, 32, 33, Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. Whoever denies me before men, him will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. This is Jesus talking. Do you want Jesus to confess you before God? Why would you not be willing to confess him before people in this audience or anyone else? Why should you be baptized? We've talked about reasons you may not want to be baptized. Why should you be baptized? This was a very off-the-cuff, top-of-my-head thing that I came up with. Why should you be baptized? Well, Jesus commanded it. We've already talked about the Great Commission in Matthew 28, Mark 16. Go and preach the gospel. Go and make disciples. Be baptized. For the remission or the forgiveness of sins, for salvation. Acts 2.38, we talked about Peter on the day of Pentecost. Acts 22.16, arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. 1 Peter 3.21, we read also, baptism now also saves us. The apostles commanded it. Peter in Acts chapter 10 in the house of Cornelius, he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. You have membership in God's church and his body, the things that Seth talked about last weekend about the gospel of the kingdom and being part of that kingdom, part of the church. Acts 2.47 talks about how the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. You put on Christ, Galatians chapter 3, verse 27. As many of us have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ or been clothed in Christ. This is by no means a comprehensive list of the reasons why you should be baptized. Baptism links, or excuse me, the Bible links baptism with all of these things. And with all the other evidences we've seen today, hindrances that you might have in your life. I want you to seriously ask yourself the question. Ask yourself this question. What hinders you from being baptized? What is it that's keeping you from being baptized right now? If there's anything there, you need to talk to someone who's godly and knowledgeable in the Word of God, and you need to get those questions answered. And you need to remove those hindrances from your life. If there are no hindrances, if there's nothing you have left other than you just haven't done it, let me phrase it the way that Ananias phrased it to the Apostle Paul, and that is, why are you waiting? In Acts twenty two sixteen, 16, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Don't wait. Don't delay. Do it now as we stand and sing.